Hi, I'm Michael Radigan, and you're listening to Three Cheers for Goaltender Interference. My co-host, Kat Silverman, will be joining me in the next segment with our guest, Brock McGillis, a former professional hockey player and now an advocate. You can follow me at Mikey Rads. You can follow Kat at Kat M. Silverman. You can follow our podcast at three cheers for goal one that's the number three and the number one and you can follow our producer maxwell spar at maxwell spar stay tuned we'll be back with the next segment and our guest brock okay we're here with brock mcgillis uh former professional Hockey player, our second professional hockey player we've ever had on our podcast, so that's exciting. Uh, also an activist, international speaker. Uh, Brock, you played up in Canada as well as over in Europe, right? Yeah, and I actually had a um, stop in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Oh, that's Ooh. right. <laughs> yeah, home of Derek Jeter. Yeah, I'm a diehard Yankees fan, so I knew that. Um, Brock, how you doing? How's your you- Monday going? You would be a Yankees fan. Oh, I love, yeah. Ugh. I have to balance Ugh. out. I'm an Islanders and Knicks fan, so it has to, I got to get. You have to balance the, out the sad. The, the Knicks still have fans? Uh, Knicks are in a playoff spot right now. So, And I don't, are you yeah. a Raptors fan? I am a Raptors okay. fan. We're, we're ahead I, of you now. I think and by a game. Can, by, by a game. Yeah, we started 2-8. and eight. Well, this is the first, this is like the best Knicks have been in like six years. So you know what? Let's. Has, I'm excited. Has Spike been allowed in the arena? Oh, wait, nobody's allowed in. Well, that's good. Yeah. Uh, well, everyone, people still go to Knicks games. Anyway. No, but COVID. Oh, yes, I know. Yeah, he, yes. No one's, uh, they are allowing people back in, but it's like 10%. So. Oh, really? So is, is Spike Lee there? Do you know? Oh, I don't know. He got into a tiff with. Um, oh, oh, I know. Yeah, that's you know. Why I brought I mean, it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know. I that hasn't. I haven't even. I forgot to think about that. That has I, been. I love that we're ten seconds in. I'm already derailing the conversation. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> anyway, Brock, how's your Monday night going? You know what? It's pretty great. I've been uh, shooting the shit here for a little while, and yeah. uh, I, I just went for a run with my dog, which. You know, it's fun in what, it's like 36 degrees here, uh, Fahrenheit, not Celsius for the Canadian fans out there. Yeah, we, we got, in New York City, we got snow, then rain today, so it's been uh, been fun uh, stepping in slush puddles. Kat, how are you doing over there? We hit 80 degrees Fahrenheit today. So. <laughs> I'm resenting you at this moment. Resent me for right now. Uh, I have to get in the digs because based on the way our winter is going here, I'm pretty sure it's going to hit like 130 this summer. Um, oh. <laughs> terrible. It's going to be awful. We hit like 43, 44 Celsius like consistently this summer. Our previous record was something like it was like 32 days out of the year. It was over. 10 Fahrenheit, which in the low 40s Celsius. And uh, this year, we not only surpassed that record of 32 days or whatever it was, but we hit some 57. So oh, wow. it sucked. It was awful. It was the no, worst. That's like, horrible. summer just wouldn't end. Uh, and so right I, now, like, we never got a winter either. Everyone how do you run else in got that? snow. Um, so funny, funny you should ask. Uh, I, I have, like, 40 sports bras and like two shirts um 
And I basically go outside in my leggings and a sports bra. And I drink a lot of water throughout the day. I run at about 9 or 10 p.m. when it's only like 39 Celsius instead of, uh, instead of 44. And I only run two miles. Like that's my top. Uh, I won't go oh, more yeah. than two over the summer. And I way slow my pace down. I know I, I broadcasted on Twitter at some point where I just showed the comparison. Like my March-April pace is like 8-15 miles, give or take. And then once summer hits, I drop it to like a 9.30, sometimes 10 minutes um, just to try and not die. Well, And then I, I get home and I lay down for like on the floor for like a good 20 minutes before I get up and shower just so I can like make sure I'm okay before I shower so I don't have to like sit down in the shower and I usually don't turn on the hot water so it's awful terrible well Uh, if it makes you feel any better I ran the other day and it was minus 20 celsius with the wind chill so that's like what like what what would that be in Fahrenheit I don't know I'm Uh, I'm not not a weatherman not good good. um no probably in that like you know like teens Oh, worse than that. Yeah, it would be like Uh, zero Fahrenheit. I've run in negative Fahrenheit before, but it wasn't fun. That's when you you enjoy having a mask because essentially it keeps your lungs warm. It keeps your throat warm. Um, Mm -hmm. But you, you were saying earlier you hate running though, right? Oh, I resent it. I hate every moment of it. The first, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm almost in tears getting out of my condo. And, and then I get outside and the first, like, it's getting better. But the first, like, five minutes, I'm like, I hate this. I hate this. Oh, I hate it's this. Awful. And then I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, I just try, I, I listen to funny things and um, just try and, like, not think about it. But it, honestly, what I do love about it, and I'll say this, it's my basically between that and walking the dog, it's the only time I get to leave my condo. So I'm like, literally, that's it. So I, I like, I appreciate it for that. That said, um, I've always resented running. That's over the summer. A lot of people, they were like, why are you, why are you still running? And I was like, are you kidding me? I, I get to leave my house. Without Sanity. my child, without yeah. my child, I get to see fresh air. I get I get vitamin D. This is the whitest I've been in like probably probably since I lived in New York City when I was very pale because there's you no know sun. you can live in your cave for days at a time. But no, it's running's running's fun once you get past that first five minutes. The five minute hurdle though, that first five minutes, it feels Sucks. like an accident. It's awful uh, mm-hmm. for everyone. It doesn't matter how good of a runner you are. That first five minutes, terrible. So you're you're not alone there. That so makes oh, you good. makes you feel better. <laughs> Mikey, have you gone for a run recently? Uh, yes, I have. Um, I'm so proud of you. It's yeah, I've been running. Um, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> like <laughs> I miss playing ice hockey. So I didn't know how. Like I, I obviously just growing up playing and i just i forgot how much of a release it was for me just like even playing eleven thirty on a friday night like at the end of a work week just that's it's such a great release and not being able to do it for we're going on a year now right it's just it's i didn't realize how much it would like drag me down not being able to do that 
Um, you know, you're so right on that. And and I used to hate the like I used to think like eleven thirty or eleven o'clock on any day of the week was horrible, right? Sure, like, yeah. Because you don't fall asleep till three or four. You're in the morning. so wired. You're, you're done. wired you're all night. You're not going to bed till four a.m. But you know what? Since COVID hit, I can't fall asleep anyway. So I'm literally up till three a.m. every single night. Right. So it I'm, doesn't matter. I should just be playing hockey at like, midnight. At least I'll be playing hockey, doing like, and it, it, it's great exercise. It's fun, obviously. Like, instead of laying in my bed doom scrolling Twitter till <laughs> till two a.m. and it's or three a.m. and it's just like I, I I miss the you know like the soreness the next day. Like I never thought I'd miss that. Like I miss my bones aching after playing like an eleven thirty game. And so yeah, I mean running's nice too, I guess. But I I I miss skating as cardio. I, I just turned my spare bedroom into a gym. Oh, nice. And it's, yeah, between that and then we have really high ceilings, so I skip in the living room and watch TV, Yeah, which is really fun. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I, I work out three times a day now. Like, I'm just, that's all I do. My downstairs neighbors would absolutely kill me if I did that. I, but, my neighbors can come to my door and say something, and I will hit them with the skipping rope. You're like, so. you're like watch me. Yeah. <laughs> come come say something, please. I dare you to. Let's, Wait, I, you skip and like your neighbors haven't complained yet? No, it's it's like the building is like soundproof. I've never heard I've lived in two units in this building. I've never heard a soul. Oh my god. Wow. <laughs> I know. I never want to leave this place just yeah, for it, that reason. That's amazing. Yeah. Seems like you got a primo spot with a gym, an extra room for a gym, and then no one can yeah. give you shit. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's brilliant. It's perfect. That's amazing. Yeah, never leaving here. Yeah, that's uh it's funny you say like you that you miss playing just for the for the energy release. Uh cuz I that's that's how I ended up running as much as I do. Um cuz I've I've been concussed a few times. Uh maybe more than a few um but I reached a point where I wasn't playing for like two or three years just because I really didn't want to get hit in the head again um I wanted to stop wearing sunglasses outside like anytime (laughs) I stepped out my front door whether it was like 9 a.m or 8 p.m like I wanted to stop wearing sunglasses everywhere I went and so I I started running more and more and then by the time I stopped feeling concussion effects, uh, I had my lovely, my small human. Um, and you can't really goaltend when you're pregnant. From, really? from what I've been told by the, by the health experts, <laughs> they, 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 do, they don't recommend that. So, yeah, it's, uh, I finally reached a point where I was starting to play again. And, and then COVID hit. And, yeah, so, so it's, it's going on quite a few years for me. Did you get the concussions playing? Some of them. I have a fun one of them I got in a story. very one of them I got in a very embarrassing way. Um, oh, but, yeah. Um, so, as some of our as some of our listeners probably know, um, I'm not 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 the most calm and not the most graceful person on the planet. And uh, I was probably like 14 or 15, and my mom was driving me home, and we we'd gone to my grandfather's house, and he had this big this big patio porch that essentially there was a step off directly to the to the cars and um and it was raining so I tried not to get myself wet 
And I tried to like Superman myself from the porch into the door of my mom's minivan and misjudged like just how high the ceiling of the car was and cracked headfirst, like just directly into the roof of the car and just fell like a pile of bricks. And she was like, are you okay? And I was like, not, not really. No. And I don't think I've ever seen my mom laugh that hard. And she laughs at me a lot because I fall a lot. Um, but she, she thought that was one of the funniest things she's ever seen happen. Um, and that was probably one of the worst concussions I've ever gotten because that, that stuck around for a while. I'm pretty yeah. sure I from that one. But, like, that one was self-inflicted. So, it was, you know, it's like... like, well, was it, was it from violence? Was it from the game? I was like, no, not, not really. <laughs> so I got knocked out cold playing pro. Oh. Yeah. From a, from a shot or... No. Um, from a shot so... from a person or from the post? a person in post so uh, fun story like stereotypical minors I, I we're playing i'm playing for kalamazoo we're playing in muskegon michigan um on a really long road trip and uh they're rivals right it's down the road from each other they hate each other it's this old dark barn like you can't even see the puck at the other end and uh one of their guys comes down the wing wires a slap shot from the top of the circles on my blocker side my right side i make the save i follow the rebound to the far corner he just keeps coming <laughs> he was six five two forty wait so what, would he just run you or ran me right over i i hated chin straps so i didn't have one on my helmet i cut oh. them off my <laughs> helmet came flying off my head hit the post and i was out Except this is, like, before concussions were, like, this is when they used to grade them still, and it wasn't what it is today. Yeah. So so the trainer comes out, apparently asks me five different questions. I don't answer any, and he leaves me in the net. The next what? six, yep, the next six shots went in. Oh, my God. Period ends. No, I don't remember the goals to this day. I do kind of remember one thing. Period ends. I go up to the coach and I tell him I can't play. Like, I'm messed up. And he says, okay. So they leave me on the bench for the rest of the game. And I'm standing there on the bench. And, and I kind of remember this, but they told me it later. A puck came flying into the bench right by my head, hit the glass behind the bench, dropped to the ground. Trainer picked it up, threw it back to the uh, linesman. And then I ducked. Oh, my God. We played the next day. So we drove home after the game. They let me drive from the arena to my place. The next day, we're playing in Fort Wayne, uh, the Comets in Indiana, an afternoon game. So we got in at like 2 or 3 in the morning. They can't find another goalie in time, so they have me dress. We're in warm-ups. And I'm holding on to the boards because people skating around is making me fall and nauseous. Oh. Then they, we, we, they decided to put me in net in the warm-up so the other team didn't see that there wasn't a goalie, that both goalies were fine, and nobody was allowed to hit the net. So I stood there in warm-ups, and I don't know what's going on. And then like, I just was like, I was out for eight months. Jesus. Was yeah, it, was, that, was the, that didn't end your career, did it? 
No, um, uh, I ended my career. Well, a lot of things ended my career. Right, um, that was it. But that, that, that was one of, I had a season-ending injury every year from 15 until I retired in my late 20s. Oh, um, yeah. I think a lot of them were psychosomatic because I was dealing with some serious crap, right? Like I was yeah. struggling with my sexuality and whatnot. So uh, that definitely played into it. Um, and this was just another example. This one was more you know, fluke then, well, not really fluke. That guy wanted to knock me out, but, um, you know, it, it, it was different than all the other ones where they were like, Oh, I tore my MCL or I did this. Or right. like one time I got my hand skated over and again, oh, the, the OHL, yeah, I can't strain my, my finger. Oh my God. Did it did, right down at the bone? I, I had like 70 or something on my pinky. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Another one. I got into a fight and I don't have a knuckle on the same hand. Goalie fight or no? Oh, those are so fun. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't be telling all my stories. No, all my that's... secrets are coming out. <laughs> I do have. I do have to ask. Did the guy get a penalty when he ran you? I don't know. Oh yeah, I, I don't remember. <laughs> I, I can't tell you. Yeah. All I know is my save percentage. I I had the game before. I lost in a shootout 2-1 and it was my second game with the like starting for the team and my save percentage like looks horrible online oh, yeah that's, and, that's not fair <laughs> i know it's bullshit and i can't like put an asterisk and say like hey i got, I got knocked out and they kept me in i don't um, remember six of these shots <laughs> literally the next six shots it was zero zero and then that's crazy do you think, especially in minor league hockey, uh, do you think like concussion protocols gotten any better? I hope so. I mean, yeah. there's there's always been, you know, people have always played with the system. Like I I, I I've played with a lot of players who would uh, fake the, when they used to have the the baseline testing, they would like intentionally mm -hmm. do worse. And it, I don't know if they still do that test, but players would, in, in, excuse me, intentionally do worse so that they would, um, if once they were concussed, their results would look similar. Oh. So, yeah. Sneaky, so, sneaky. Jeez. Oh, that's... That, was, that was going on in junior hockey for like 20 years. Oh, um, my. Yeah. That's crazy. So, it's reality, though, and everyone's afraid because uh, there's, there's, to this day, you get a concussion and people, you know, say, oh, he's got a soft jaw or he's got a soft head and or she, you know, and, and then they'll use that against you um, for drafts for this, for that. And, and it becomes a, a negative, a criticism. It's like it's no different than any other injury, but people will use it and, in a negative way. So and, and it's not a visible injury. So people will hide it which is really right. a shame. And then we get all these players with, you know, CTE and different things. And, and, you know, you see different athletes in different sports dying at such a young age because of it. That, that I think, um, a, a famous, uh, receiver NFL receiver for, um, this happened just last week or a couple weeks ago, uh, Vincent Jackson He's, I think he, he was like a, he's really good for Tampa Bay, like all, for all these years. And he, they found him dead in a hotel room and they think it was because of, um, 
CTE. And it's like, how many examples have you heard about that? You know, between football and hockey, it's, it's, it feels like it's become an epidemic, right? Like it, you have well, these guys that are dying young because of that. I mean, well, at even, least. Sorry. I was oh, going to just... say, even, even the ones who don't die, I feel like right. you can, you can tell. Uh, I know I was, like, unfortunately, sometimes when you've when you've had multiple concussions, there's there's some gallows humor to it when you when you talk with other concussed people. And I was I was and I wasn't interviewing. I was off the record talking with one of the pro coaches. And uh, I don't remember what I was interviewing him about, but we were just we were, we were just talking about one of the players on on the ice. And he was asking me something and I had started a question and just kind of paused and then asked it again. And, and then he was answering it and he just paused and like completely forgot. And he was like, I'm sorry, let me start that over concussions. And I was like, Oh, it's okay. Like you heard me asking you the question. I had to stop and start twice. It's clearly, I was like, we're on the same level of efficacy here and you laugh, but like, it's true. I feel like the closer you are to the concussion, it, it sounds awful, but like, the dumber you sound. And it's not necessarily to other people, but to yourself, you certainly do. You sound like, like you think that you're an idiot for those first however long. And then even when you move beyond that point, you're never quite the same with your response timing and with your ability to string together multiple thoughts and with your ability to follow questions and ask them. And and so even, and you look at some of the players and you never want to diagnose someone with CTE while they're living, but you look at some of the, some of the former players and the way that they have started to behave online and some of the ways that they behave as analysts and the ways that they behave as Twitter personalities. And it's such a marked departure from what you would assume they would sound like. And it's, you you have to assume that some of it is a per that personality change that they talk about. And it, it's so sad to see because you wonder what they would be like, would they be doing those things? I know of one coach, uh, he was an all-star defenseman in the NHL for a long time. They, he coached for a, a while at different levels and he would tell the same joke every day in the room. And and everyone just got to the point that they laughed and smiled with him, right? Because they they felt bad, like and and it was like in junior and whatnot, and they were just kind of like, yeah, he's he's saying it again. Cat, uh, you bring up um, CT and how it affects. You know, would they be acting the certain way if it wasn't for it? Um, I'm, I have the Islanders and they're playing the Buffalo Sabers, and uh, Kyle Poso um, is someone who. I think it came out in an article, I believe, in The Athletic a couple years ago. I mean, he was he used to play for the Islanders, but he was great. And then he got concussed, and then he just was not acting like himself. He he became more erratic. It was like his personality just changed, and he was becoming more erratic. And they, they couldn't figure out what was going on, really. And then uh, eventually, I think he, had to, he sat out for the rest of the year and was able to they were able to, you know, figure out what was going on. He was able to get better and, you know, go to therapy and things like that. But they, they said his, like, he just was not the same guy as he was. Like, his personality changed. And his, he, he had started having more erratic behavior. And, and these players aren't in a state where they can necessarily um, 
you know, take themselves, they, they probably don't even realize how erratic they're being. Sure. So they can't take themselves to get help because they don't know. And the onus should be on the league and the teams. And it hasn't been. Um, they yeah. haven't taken accountability there. And it's really scary because then, you know, when somebody does something, you know, uh, problematic in on social media or or abusive in, you know, relationships gets violent or whatever, it's like, they're out of their mind, literally. At times, not always, at times. And, and you know, we, we should be providing them the help as, as a collective, as a culture, before it gets to that point. And, and more needs to be done there. So and now... Go ahead, Kat. Go on, no, go on, Mikey. No, I'm just, I'm just thinking about the pro, like, just the actual protocol now and the, and the NHL is they send you to the dark room for like 15 minutes, right? Or mm-hmm. 20 minutes. And then the trainer has to make sure you're okay. Then they send you back out there. Is that what happens? Is that what happens? I believe if you're taken out, um, you aren't allowed to reenter the game. Like if you have to go to the dark room, you aren't allowed back in. But after that 15 minutes, they do evaluate you to see if, uh, if you're able to play the next game or if you're going to enter concussion protocols, so they give you that 15 minutes in the quiet room in the dark, you know, give you some time to, cause sometimes it's not, sometimes it's not a concussion or what we, what we know of as a concussion, right? Cause we're still mm-hmm. in, I would say the infancy of, of concussion knowledge and awareness, even in the scientific community. And so what they, sometimes it's, you know, you've, you've been rattled and you've been jarred and you're feeling a little, a little sick to your stomach. Cause when you get, when you get hit like that, even if it doesn't cause lasting effects, like I know for me, it makes me feel pretty nauseous regardless. Um, And so giving you a chance to sit without the extra stimuli and make sure that you're actually okay um, before they do that testing protocol so you're not being bombarded by the the sights and the sounds. I mean, the ice, it's bright. Uh, I mean, it's, it's probably brighter to me and to you than to a player who hasn't been concussed. Um, but right afterwards, I mean, that's, if you are entering protocol, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to test for that out there in the bright rink. So they, they send them in and then they test them, but I don't think they're allowed to reenter the game from, from my understanding. So it's got, it's like, at least a, it's gotten a little better in terms it of. It is work. better. Yeah. yeah. A, little, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of work to be done though. Now, when you say there's there's a lot of work to be done, that's a that's a perfect corny segue into uh, <laughs> what else we wanted to talk with you about. And my, I've I've got dad jokes for days. Um, but we did want to want to talk to you a little bit about because obviously your playing career was derailed by injuries, but you also got a chance once you once you retired to sort of shift your focus and and come out as an advocate. And you're you've been doing so much heavy lifting when it comes to sometimes I feel like you're almost like like when you're just swinging out at everyone you've got like 14 arms and you're just smacking all the trolls one by one there are some days that that's just like your entire twitter feed but working for anti-racism anti-sexism anti-homophobia anti-transphobia you know you've you've been doing so much work on the inclusivity side of hockey and how, how did you reach a point where not just you, you got involved in that cause you're a member of the LGBTQ community, but when, how did you get involved from an, from an advocate standpoint? Cause that's, 
that's another jump entirely to getting involved vocally too. Yeah, it, it was interesting. Um, you know, when I, I was friends with uh, Brendan Burke, Brian Burke's son. And um, we, when he came out publicly, we formed a friendship. I wasn't out. I was living in Montreal. I was playing university hockey while I was injured watching university hockey um, for most of it. But um, we became good friends and talked almost every day. And then, and I wasn't out to a soul in my family. I'd gone through a three-year relationship with a man. Like I was, I admitted to myself at that point that I was gay. Actually, looking back, I'll take it back a little further. When I was playing in Europe, um, I was, I went from junior hockey where I was incredibly depressed. I was suicidal. I was drinking from the age of 18 to 23. I drank almost every day. Wow. Uh, While trying to have, I wasn't sleeping, uh, trying to have a hockey career at an elite level and still being on NHL draft lists and still, you know, playing major junior and went on to pro um, and, and, you know, on more than one occasion, I tried to die by suicide and oh, wow. I, I, I was incredibly, um, troubled, struggling, depressed, dealing, I, I couldn't, I couldn't fathom being gay and being in hockey as a player because there was so much homo negative language constantly used in locker rooms and, yeah. and you know, within the culture that made me feel like I was bad or wrong or couldn't be myself. Right. So, um, finally at 23, I was living in Europe. I was playing pro and I sat myself down one day because I knew, um, a few things were going to happen. Number one, if I didn't figure out who I was, I, I was, uh, my career was going to end soon. Like right. it was inevitable. My career was derailing. I was, like I said, I was on an NHL draft list. I was supposed to have this, you know, linear trajectory to, you know, a, a great career in hockey. And all of a sudden I'm playing in the minors in Europe. Um, right. And I'm like, what the hell is this? So I, and then the other thing I recognized is that if I didn't, you know, at least figure out who I was, I would probably end up being dead soon. And that, that like really was a smack. So you, you had this realization when you were over in Europe and yeah. after, you know, your basically your junior career is done by then, right? And you're playing. Yeah. Europe, and yeah. Was the atmosphere better? Did you feel more comfortable playing in Europe or did it, that, or did it, it was just a realization that like, I have to do this. I had a lot of fun in Europe. Um, I think it was nice. There was less pressure in, in the sense that the culture was the same, believe it or not. The hockey culture was similar. I, I feel like a lot of countries try and mimic, players try and mimic that North American yeah. hyper-masculine bro culture of hockey um, when they don't really have to and probably shouldn't. Mind you, I, I guess sometimes in some countries, soccer takes that same form. So, um, But I think for me, one of uh, the biggest things was I didn't know people. So I, I like there wasn't a fear of saying the wrong thing or looking gay or sounding gay or all those psychological fears I had prior to. 
Um, and, but it just, I think something just hit me. So I actually, what I did was I went on a a gay dating website and this is like, we're, I'm dating myself here because this is pre apps. Um, (laughs) so I went on a site called Gaydar and I've only said this once in an interview. Um, but I, I searched my hometown. I'm originally from Sudbury, Ontario. So like Northern Ontario. And I saw a lot of, um, you know, uh, straight identifying men who were married to women and had children uh, on this site looking for men. And I went, that's going to be me. Yeah. So that was... I was a womanizer, like through junior, and I'm very open about that. And I, I almost compensated for the fact that I was gay by, you know, dating as many women, having, you know, relationships with as many women as possible constantly. I was dating a woman at the time in Europe. I like I, I was and I went, this is me. I'm, I'm lucky I don't have a kid right now. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 40, 50, 60 years old on the Internet looking for men. So that that was a wake up call for you. When you- so. Yeah, and it just so happened I did it right as I sat down. So I said, okay, I got to figure this out. So I actually uh, started, I went on a date with a guy. I actually dated him for three years without a soul in my life knowing so I can keep playing hockey. Uh, really? we, had an, we had an alias for me. I dated, I was living in Sudbury, but I dated in Toronto. Uh, his friends couldn't find me on social media because we had a fake name. Right. Uh, you know, like he never met a soul in my life. And then... That must, broke. Been, that must have been insanely difficult and strenuous, oh, was, I would imagine, right? It was hell. It was hell. Right. It, it, it ruined the relationship. Uh, Funny uh, story, actually. I saw him. I was filming uh, my digital series in L.A. in 29, June 2019. And I'm walking across the street on Santa Monica. Okay, I'm walking across Santa Monica. And it's 8 a.m. on a Tuesday. We haven't seen each other in 10 years. We meet in the middle of the street. Wow. Wild. That's Wild. crazy. Off topic, but yeah, <laughs> it was like I saw a ghost. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so after that, I decided to take a step back from pro and I moved to Montreal and went to Concordia and was on the hockey team there just in case I wanted to go back, you know, after my academics were done. And um, I became friends with Brendan Burke. Right. And Brendan you know, and I would talk every day. I, it was such a relief. I had somebody who understood the duality I was going through of being this like gay guy, but also in this hyper-masculine sport and all, you know, the different things. And, um, he sent me a message one day and it said, I can't wait for the day that you're out to your family. Like I am to mine. And I didn't answer him. Um, not because I didn't think my family would be inclusive, but they were so involved in hockey culture. My dad scouted in the OHL for 10 plus years. He coached AAA and junior hockey for over 30. My brother was the first round pick in the OHL, played pro. And I was worried they would find out I was gay and stand up to the language being used and accidentally out me and jeopardize any opportunity I had. Um, and so you were scared they, w- they would basically accidentally out you by defending you. Yes. Exactly. Gotcha. So I didn't, I didn't answer Brendan's text. Right. Um, two days later, Brendan passed away in a car accident. Yeah. And it motivated me to come out to my family. 
to all my friends who weren't in hockey. Right. And, and I did, but I stayed closeted in the game. And even after I retired, I started working with athletes in Northern Ontario. I was working with 100 hockey players daily. And I feared that parents wouldn't want their kids working with me if they knew I was gay. Sure. Yeah. I was, you know what I mean? Like it was predominantly boys or young men. And, and I just feared that their parents wouldn't want them around me. There isn't a ton of diversity up there, let alone exposure to the LGBTQ plus community. So I was like, this can't happen. I need to keep that separate. And then one day I received a phone call from a hockey mom. And she said, Brock, I want to set you up on a date. And I said, oh, shit. Yeah. So then I said, what's her name? And she said, Steve. Oh, okay. So she... She knew. knew. They all knew. They all knew. They'd known (laughs) for years. And nobody said anything. It was like the biggest, like, like... You know, uh, how good did that feel though? I was terrifying. I panicked knowing that they knew I hadn't said oh, anything. My, my, my heart raced. I thought I was going to lose all these athletes, and and so initially I was panicked. I was in a sweat, like thinking, like, there goes like this career I had, and and I was like, what am I going to do? You know, what am I going to do with my life now? And then I thought about it and I said, wait, they all know I'm gay. These cocky hockey bros know I'm gay and choose to work with me. How cool is that? Yeah. And initially I thought, you know what, I, I'm going to tell them. Right. And just let it all out. But then I decided to do a little experiment. So I recognized something. They know I'm gay, but they don't know that I know that they know that I'm gay. <laughs> so I, I observed their behaviors. I felt like a sociologist or something or like, you know, uh, like just observing things or somebody who works with animals, observing animals in the wild, like hockey players in their natural habitat. And I was there and, and I started to notice anytime they say something homophobic, they'd freeze up and apologize to me. And I thought, cool, you know, maybe I'm creating a shift. Did you, let me, let me ask you before you knew that they knew, was that something they always did? They never. I I didn't notice that they apologized, but I always tried to curb racist, sexist, and homophobic language. Right. I, I I had no tolerance and no place for it with my athletes, so I, I stood up against it. But I started to really notice they freeze up and apologize after, and they may have done it before. Yeah. I just was so probably uncomfortable with the idea of them, you know, or trying to divert the attention that I would just like not notice. Um, but. And I thought, cool, you know, maybe I'm creating a shift. And then I thought, well, maybe they're just nice to me because they like me. But then they go to school or to the rink and call people fags. Yeah. And I really had no idea. Sure. Until one day I wasn't there and I had a spring coach working with some athletes. And they were on the track. And, and he told them at the end of a workout that they had 10 more 200-meter sprints or something that I hate doing. And he, uh, one of the younger players who was 15 looked at him and said, this is so gay. I can't believe you're making us do this. And then one of my older players, who was already in the OHL, came from a less progressive background as a younger player, looked at him and said, we don't say that here. Give me 50 push-ups. That must have been like a, a nice wake-up call, right? Like that, It was wild. That you, you're, you're, the way you're coaching these kids is getting through to them. It was wild. And, and, and it became something that they, all my athletes adopted uh, amongst themselves they all started doing this and it became kind of uh, a rule. If somebody said something homophobic, they would do 50 push-ups. 
And then it raised their awareness to the language they were using and to their behaviors. And then because they are influencers in, you know, in, in their communities, hockey in Canada is such a big deal. Right. And, and major junior players and whatnot have even more influence. They would take it to their teams. And the younger player took it to his team and, and, uh, and to their friends at school. And one of his teammates one night that I've never met was on FaceTime with a young woman. They were 15 years old. And she said, let's hang out. And, and this player said, no, I can't. I have practice. And she said, that's okay. You never want to hang out with me. And he looked at her and said, give me 50 push-ups right now. We're never <laughs> talking again. And she did the push-ups. They both did. And I oh. thought, like, I'm, I'm creating shifts. Yeah. It was the first time I realized, like, I had this little bubble within the hockey bubble that I could create shifts. And then from there, a couple things happened. Uh, the association I grew up playing in in Sudbury that I co was coaching in and helping teams. My dad had coached in, my brother had played in and coached in, uh, blackballed me and wouldn't let me, uh, uh, work with their teams in season, my training business. Uh, it was the only business in the city that wasn't allowed to work with their teams. And, uh, I was the only one that coached for them for free. So it had it had to do with my sexuality. Right. It was, I was working with all the elite players in the city. I was doing the most work for them. And then all of a sudden people start finding out that I was gay and they just wouldn't let me work with their teams. Um, the next day, uh, so my dad ran into the president of the association and asked him if, if it was because I was gay. So, you know, true to form, I knew he would stand up and accidentally out me. Yeah. Uh, and, and he did. And, and then the president said, what? I had no idea. And I knew he knew. That mom told me everyone knew, right? Right. And uh, so the next night I showed up at a rink to help a team I was coaching with. And the coach kicked me off his staff. I got kicked off a couple staffs. They just said, we don't need your services anymore. The president went and called all the coaches. And that was because they knew you were out. They that was because they found out and, and like it was solidified for them that I was gay. Um, and that's 20, uh, 2014 or 15, 2015 or 20, no, sorry, 2015. Or, I think it was 2016. So it's not that long ago. Yeah. It's only, you know, it's barely five, five. years ago. Yeah. And then, uh, a couple other things happened right after that. The incident at Pulse nightclub, the massacre where 49 people were murdered just for being gay. Yeah. And uh, right after that, less than a week later, uh, one of my friends was running Toronto Pride, and uh, he ended up on an ISIS hit list for it. Jesus Christ. And, and it was the same year, and I thought he was joking. We were supposed to go to a charity event together, and I thought he was joking when he said, you can't come, I'm on a hit list. And I said, you're full of it. And he's like, no, I'm serious. Um, and we ended up going... I told him, I said, are you going? He said, yeah, I have to. They told me they still want me to go. Um, so I went with him. And it was a Friday night. And I remember getting to an Uber with him. And we looked at each other and we said, we're going to die tonight. And, and I just knew that nothing could scare me out of my community. Um, uh, like, I just couldn't do it. So yeah. I had to go. Uh, we had undercover police officers. We had RCMP, which is like our... Um, FBI or CIA or one of those or yeah. a combination of both. I don't know. Uh, they're around us. Like they, this is uh, a charity event and they have the wands out and they're like, you know, metal detector wands out. They're patting people down at the door. 
everything ended up being fine. My friend's fine to this day, but that moment was it. So I messaged a friend of mine who's a journalist and I said, I'm coming out. And the next day I, I wrote the story. So that, go, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to oh, and, and then from there, it just became so many people were coming to me struggling. Yeah. Um, and, and I was getting threats from leagues. Uh, the more outspoken I've become, the more I've been threatened, um, for my outspokenness. But I get kids coming to me who are, you know, incredibly depressed, who are, you know, struggling with their mental health, suicidal in some cases. And I go and meet with them and meet with their parents and support them and help them. And these kids are, are really hurting. Yeah. And, and I'm tired of it. And I'm tired of oppression. And I'm tired of people feeling that way. So I just can't help it. And, and I start getting calls to speak. And, you know, I've become like I closed down my businesses and I've become a full time activist and public speaker and everything else. And it, it's just I, I just can't stop now. <laughs> I mean, that is that is an amazing thing. And I, I do you think being a kid like right now today is and, you know, being a part being either closet or being a part of the LGBTQ community, but you feel like you can't be yourself. Do you think that's more difficult just with I, I think we were, you know, we're, we hope we progress more as a society. But do you think it's more difficult with just like social media and things like that? For, for I, I, I think it's it can be either. I think you have more examples of queer people. Yeah, which which is really important. Um, more people that you can reach out to for support. Like sure. I, I get hundreds of messages a week. Yeah, you know, people who reach out struggling, and and to this day, I still do, and 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 not just LGBTQ plus anymore. Like women, people who are you know any oppressed group. Like people show me things and DM me about things, and you know it, it's. Um, but so in in that regard i think it's a little easier because you can find support whereas i was all alone and, and didn't know any gay people and and didn't yeah. have anyone to you know talk to um i think it can be more difficult because of uh harassment and bullying that exists on socials and and you know you see like um I've, I've had articles go up in different places and all the comments are so homophobic, um, you know, and even uh, the NHL did something on me a couple of years ago and, excuse me, uh, like, it, it was met with thousands of homophobic comments and I made them keep them up. I mean, going to that with the NHL, I mean, how many times do you, I know it's, they kind of do, um, they, they do do, a, every team does a pride night at some point during the season, I believe, or most do, and they'll post about it on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, and then it just becomes a shit show of just, like, horrible, horrible comments. And, yeah, so, like, what you're saying, like, the NHL did something, and then the... It's, and you have to get, like, two cents from someone with the username, like, John123456. Oh, yeah. They retweets Barstool all day. Oh, my... Yeah, I, that fucking site. Um, like, yeah, exactly. Oh, we're allowed to swear on here? I didn't know. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Oh, fuck. I've been, I've been trying to stay... Keep my mouth clean. No, no, no. I'll uh, keep my, I keep mine a little cleaner with with ears next to me. Yes. But I'll, I'll still I'll still say something, but Okay. Good to know. <laughs> you're 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 good to you're you're safe. Good. But um yeah, so like it, it it's Oh, it's insane. It's it's, insane. it's, it's just, there, there's good and bad from it, and I think 
I think the good can outweigh the bad because you can mute things and block things and, and sure. you know, but I, um, it can also, there, there is bad and there is cyberbullying and different things that exist that, you know, didn't exist the same way when I was growing up. Yeah. But um, I, I think for the most part, having people accessible to you really matters and seeing representation really matters um for youth and and social affords us that ability you know growing up in Sudbury I didn't know any gay people you know like I didn't know there was one black person in my high school like you you know what I mean it was like there was more indigenous people but there wasn't a lot of minority people in general whether you know like it was white kids and and that's you know Sudbury. So like just just having more exposure. Even like you look at the Black Lives Matter movement through the summer and 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 how that grew through you know what we were able to witness and see the oppression and and the murder and and the brutality against Black people. And and I don't think without socials we would have had that. So um, I you know I, I think it would have been less um, visible. So I, I, I think we need them. I think they're good. I, I think ultimately they, they do probably help more than harm, even though there is a lot of shit on there. Sure. And like you said, I mean, it is great for mobilization and things like that. And again, just even reaching out to you, a kid reaching out to you. I mean, when you were, as you're saying, when you were a kid, you didn't have that outlet, right? No. And, and even to this day, like every time I see an athlete come out, what, regardless of the sport, I try and DM them. And just so they know they're not alone. Right. Because it it was hell even coming out alone and not having a support network of like that and somebody to kind of guide me through it. So going off of that, going off of the the advocacy side of it, not just for the kids, but for you, um, how do you balance that? Because like you said, there's, it's, it can be easy to to block and to mute, but ultimately, one of the things that I know you're you're fairly outspoken about is trying to not just block and mute people who say ignorant things, but try and try and help change their heart a little bit, right? Try and try and get them to the to a point where they feel like they can they can ask an ignorant question or they can say something ignorant, and they're not just going to be thrown out. Um, and slowly changing everyone's perspective. How do you balance that that willingness to reach out to people who who maybe are a little and a little is kind of probably underselling it, but it's a little tricky to talk to at first uh, with with self care for yourself because that can be really draining talking to people who just don't seem to get it over and over, and some of them never will. Like how do you how do you balance that with with taking care of yourself too? Well. For me, it, it first started, um, I, I try not to be reactionary um, with anything that's going on. And that's taken a lot of years of therapy. And I'm very vocal about that. Um, I meditate twice a day. I exercise twice to three times a day. Like, I, I, I radical self-care. As Renee Hess puts it, uh, has her, you know, through a black girl hockey club, they, they have radical self-care. Um, I'm a big believer in, in, um, engaging and educating. I, 
uh, not everyone is, and that's okay. Um, but the way I see it is, you know what? I don't care what John72498 calls me. <laughs> it means nothing to me because it's not a real person. But if I can get through to that person and have an honest and open conversations, even if it starts, you know, in, in a thread and ends up in DMs, we can then um, get to the root of all the shit. Because there's, there's shit. I, I don't think people by nature just hate. I think, you know, there's a lot of the time there's shit that's gone on. Either it's learned, uh, the hate's learned, or they've suffered. There was one time I was saying something, uh, I was critical of Don Terry. That's, I'll, I'll be critical of, you know, personalities and people in the public eye openly. But with regular people, I want to engage with them because, and, and this really dawned on me that day, I was having, I, I tweeted something about Don Cherry and it just kind of blew up like years ago. And this person was attacking me, calling me every name. And then I'm like, what would make you want to hurt me that way? What right. would make you want to call me right. those names and be homophobic? And he stopped and then all of a sudden a message came in and said, I was abused by both of my parents my entire life. And I went, okay. So then I DM'd him and I'm like, are you okay? And we got into a long conversation. This was a grown adult man yeah. opening up like this straight guy, you know, opening up like this. And I've seen other instances where, you know, some people have internalized stuff like internalized homophobia. Uh, there's young guy I know who um, we ended up, uh, somebody put me in a Blue Jays, Toronto Blue Jays, Facebook fan group. I don't know how. And this one person started uh, putting a lot of homophobic stuff and, and you know, Eventually, we ended up playing fantasy sports together and all this. And I, I kind of told him, I said, that's not okay. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and I'm gay. And, and, you know, and it turns out he's gay. And, and there's so many people struggling with stuff in the world. And we think our problems sometimes are the only problems and the only shit out there. Yep. And, <laughs> and we, we fail to recognize that other people... If we just take a moment and, and and think, okay, they're still a human being, and why are they doing this? Yeah, where every everyone's got their shit, right? Like everyone's going That's, through it. One my way my, or the other. my world of wonder show, my digital series is called This Is Shit. Yeah, and it's all about. Um, I I rewatched, I'd read, and then I watched the documentary on a flight, The Secret. Right. And and it just said that in there. Everyone thinks that they're so special when they're struggling. They think they're the only one in the world. Yeah. We're all going through shit, different shit. And there's, you know, tears of oppression and there's tears of different levels of shit people are going through. But in the moment when we're going through something, we think we're the only ones out there going through it. Yeah. Going through something. And we, we fail to look at the bigger picture of the world. And that kind of helps me get through it. Um, is, is just looking at that. The only time I actually struggle from any of that stuff online is when people from minority groups are upset with me. Because that stings. It's like, shit. And it's like, 
did I do something wrong? Are they being reactionary? If they are, it's because we've been oppressed. Right. And it's like, I just want to give them a hug and, and make it okay. So, you it's, know, it's upsetting because you, you have a, a kind of like a kinship or a solidarity with, because they're also an oppressed group. So it's, it makes it extra upsetting. Um, yeah, it's sad. You know, yeah. like like getting hate from like some alt right wing, you know, like like I, I've gone into some epic battles with like Brandon Prost and, and uh, a few different hockey players. Uh, uh, Brendan, I'm, I'm sorry. Kat, didn't Brendan Prost give you shit? No, uh, I've I've got beef with Dustin Penner. Uh, oh, sorry, I got he that. and I, he he and a police officer that I went to high school with were having a lovely conversation that was sent to me on uh, Instagram one night. And we've gone into it about his, you know, um, it, what's what's that group called that he's a part of QAnon? Um, <laughs> we've gone into it about his QAnon homophobia stuff uh, before. And, and, you know, like that stuff doesn't bug me. Like, I don't care. I'm not bothered. It's, it's when people um, who are, are upset at me that I know are, struggling and oppressed that that eats yeah. at me i don't sleep those nights and then when hockey does something stupid i think i still have some wounds there that haven't fully healed i still have some some stuff so when when something happens that hockey doesn't step up the way they should it really impacts me so that must be extra upsetting and i because it feels like constantly hockey is doing something stupid oh fuck <laughs> don't get me started if if i could share like i'm gonna write a book someday because if you only knew like uh even uh, a quarter of the shit that goes on behind the scenes that i'm privy to that i've gone through with uh multiple different leagues including the top ones yeah um it's it's a nightmare it's 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 it hasn't been pleasant like at all at all at all yeah. and and it it's um they make it hard they right. make it really yeah. hard to do what i do more so than the oppressive people Sure. It's, it's like, it reminds me, they just, I mean, not just talking about the NHL, they remind me of that from the Simpsons, that sideshow Bob gif of uh, him constantly just stepping on the rake and hitting himself in the face. Cause that's like, it's, that it sounds just, about right. Yeah. It's just every, every day you're just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, what? The hell? Yeah. And, and I think there's some well-intentioned people there. And, and that's my other thing with hockey and why I don't really, rip on players or or management or teams as much as i do the culture of hockey sure. because i think there's good people who are well-intentioned um who just aren't uh, haven't been exposed to any diversity or any people other than hockey people for their whole damn lives because it's such an insular sport education you know like just yeah. just bring in the right people to do the right things and shift the culture period have you have you wor- have you ever worked with any pro team any NHL teams uh, in that regard or I've worked with the Leafs um, so far. I think I'll probably start doing more. Um, I've I've had discussions with the league itself. Yeah. Uh, about working with them on some things. They've asked me a few different times now, and then I don't know. Yeah. Can you can you speak to your experience with the Leafs a little bit or? Oh, was it, a, was it a positive, um, positive uh, one or? Yeah, no, they were great. Every like we, uh, it was supposed to be an hour long uh, professional development workshop, and they wanted to stay. Like I had their scouts, coaches, like growlers, Marleys were there as well, and and 
uh, front office people and they wanted to stay on and kept asking questions. And, and finally the person that was hosting this, this for them, like internally, uh, cut it off because we, we had to stop, but I would have sat there. We, uh, the woman who did it received a ton of messages saying I could have sat there and talked with him for three hours. So that's, that has to, that's a, that's a great I, thing though. I think if we humanize, I, 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 I am of the belief that hockey people, I, I don't think people by nature are bad. Yeah. And I think hockey people are just, um, and hockey culture, I think hockey culture is problematic and people are a product of that culture. Sure. So, so to me, it's, if we can humanize issues, we saw last summer when George Floyd was murdered that over 200 players made statements on social media in different places about that. Yet there was no education for them. There was nothing there for them to then that's once something is humanized for you, you, they will then take the time to learn. Yeah. And there was nothing unless they went and did it on their own and how many did and where they're getting the information and who's, you know what I mean? Like there, there's so many, like there should have been proper education in place for them at that point. If hockey would go around and humanize all the issues, all the different groups that are, you know, protected groups that, that are kind of, you know, treated poorly by the culture and shown that, Hey, there's an issue here. Hockey rallies around cancer, hockey rallies around, you know, we saw Humboldt, yeah. uh, how the, the hockey world rallied around that. If we teach them that these are issues that need to be rallied around, that, that we need their support and help to shift it, and that they're actual issues, not just, you know, um, political correctness and whatever else people want to say that's <laughs> not true, um, you know, then, then they would rally. Yeah, they one hundred percent would, but there's too many gatekeepers preventing that from happening. Sure, because I mean, with hockey, it's always you know, it's the it's family. Like teams are families, right? Organizations are quote unquote families. So, and yeah. that is that is a great thing about hockey is how they do like the everyone like uh, was it that you mentioned that junior team that had that horrific Humboldt, yeah, Humboldt. Um, yeah, every, everyone rallied around that, and the entire everyone, world. Yeah, so. Um, would you say we mentioned about having like everyone has their shit would you say your shit is that you're a Blue Jays fan or <laughs> what an amazing I, question to ask someone Mikey I, I had to I, get you back for that Yankees dig well first of all um, you you know we, we went we had some pretty epic years uh, just not too long ago and we have a lot our farm system is significantly better than yours and we're not far away. If, if we're not as good as your team right now, we're very close and we're inching closer and closer by the day. And you should watch out because pretty soon you you'll be fighting like for a wild Mets card. Are, you say that like the Mets are anywhere close to winning <laughs> thing. Are you talking to me? Oh yeah. I, I forgot you're a Yankees fan. Yeah. He just roasted me earlier. I literally, for being yeah, I literally have your Yankees fandom like blacked out in my brain. Cause there, to me, there's no, darker team like there's would, no team that it's more immoral to be a fan of yeah, than the new york yankees or the evil empire it's the terrible. best they are. it's the best <laughs> i would argue they're not even the best team in their own city right now the, the mets are not better do not i <laughs> do not, not give that i can no no there's but it's no better way for your character to be a mets fan no it's not they have a, a way better pitching staff um 
uh, Stanton and Judge are going to combine for like 80 days on the DL each, or 160 days on the DL combined, and like they do every other year. This um, is okay. your Glaber's overrated. Gla- there, I said it. I said it. Why? Because he had a he didn't do good in the. He the only season. hits against the Orioles. Because he he didn't have a great sixty game 20, season last 20 year. Twenty of his thirty home runs came, uh, in, in twenty nineteen came against the Orioles. I think he had forty that year. Okay, so half his home runs came against the That's Orioles. That's not his fault. They played the Orioles a million times. They, they play them seventeen. So what what do you do in the other you know one hundred and fifty games? I regret bringing up the Blue Jays now. <laughs> oh, I will go at baseball. You want to go basketball now? I I. I can go that over hockey yeah. any day. Basketball, really? Oh yeah. So I, are, I watch. You watch I, more basketball than hockey? Yeah, I do. It's a more the they do such a better job the NBA. I feel like than the NHL. Uh, if they used to remember, they had rules against certain defenses, like zone defenses or different things in in the nineties that kind of got it started and right. I feel like hockey has to find a way to do that with the trap. And and like the the Devils and the Stars in the 90s ruined hockey. The was that with uh when Ken Hitch, Hitchcock coached the the Stars yeah, right? Was yeah, and Lemaire was with the Devils. That that ruined hockey. Like it it, it did. Like who wants to like uh, if I want to watch soccer, I'll watch soccer. It's soccer yeah. with fighting. Yeah, that's I mean, those. I remember those devil people always say those Devils team were like just watching paint dry. Brutal to watch. Brutal. Absolutely so brutal. Because I mean, they would. You let up. You know. You get. You go up one nothing, two one, and then you just. Yeah, you just. What? I, what if? I did a calculation. I looked at the years because people were ragging on Freddie Anderson. They were talking about how. Oh, we. He crashes towards the end of the season. He's clearly not a true workhorse because look at what, look at what, uh, and Marty Brodeur did. Look at that. And I was like, okay, I'll I'll look at this. And I broke it down. And the years that Marty Brodeur did the most, he had the heaviest workload for the Devils. He averaged facing twenty. That was his average. 21 wait, shots Kat, a went, night. And Kat, then you went in and out. I went in and out. Yeah. Wait, how many shots a night did he get faced? 21. 21. 21. It's like two and then you look Freddy. at Freddie Anderson. Freddie Anderson was averaging just under 30. So for yeah, big stretches not... of the season, he had 34, 35. So it was almost another entire oh, game. Oh, we've got a dog. Oh, yeah. buddy. Is there a she first was, dog on the pod? She was at the window. We we have a walkway underneath our unit, and you can see out, and she growled the dogs <laughs> under there. So we have, a, we have a dog and a child on the podcast right now. Yes. <laughs> wild night. Excited. She's but, a, so the she heard that, me say dog, and she just, like, mouthed at me from next to me. She goes, dog. Yeah. Tell her, tell her <laughs> like, say hi to Iris. Let me turn, turn it. Um, she's back to Lego, but, 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 but yeah, yeah, it, it, it sort of ruined hockey. I, I have a theory though. If they went, if you won by three goals, you get three points, two goals, you get two points. Um, you would open up the game and then people would be forced to be creative offensively instead of creative defensively. 
So that's almost like a like junior hockey where you get your points and you get your ranking based on like your goal differential too. Yeah, like in, but, in the world juniors when that matters. You yeah, know what I mean? And and that should if, matter in, in hockey too. Like yeah, in pro it, hockey. Well, I think it would make it exciting, like when you wanna watch a game with goals. Exciting and, for everyone but fans of the team that Martin Jones is playing for. Wait, let me. Add, what about just making the nets bigger? Stop it! Get off I, the pod. I'm talking to two off. goalies though, so. Shut up. I I don't think don't, you need to do like they've already made yet. the equipment small enough, and don't get me started on goaltending today because I I don't think goaltending's that great in the NHL anymore. Um, yeah. And, well, I I honestly think. Um, too many people are trying to reinvent the wheel and and i think you know like they went from fingers up everyone's trying to be the next francois lair and you you know revolutionize the game instead of just simplifying it and looking at the tools out there and and like everyone and then trying to teach guys to play like jonathan quick like sorry he's a freak it's like trying to get people to play like hasek they try i mean they try Who's the closest person that could have played like Hasek? I mean, style-wise, I guess. Yeah. Probably quick. What about Tim Thomas when he played? He wasn't as athletic, I don't think. Yeah, but he he tried. I have have a hot take. Not quick. Alex Stalock. I've never seen him play. So He's the wild, right? He's the backup? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he's the backup for the wild. For for Talbot? He hangs out like... Like I know that we have in our in our Q and A session, we have a, a question from someone asking us about Jacob Markstrom and his intense desire to go wandering outside the blue paint, and uh, that's what Alex Stalock does. But like all the time, doesn't matter if the play's coming towards him, if the play's on the other end of the ice. So he if thinks he's, he's in the blue Turco. paint, he feels like he's in time. <laughs> yeah, he's he feels Turco. like he's in time. So um, it's fun I- to watch it, but terrifying. So. But honestly, like, I, I, I think the game has, uh, like, I, I don't know why everyone wants to reinvent the wheel. The RVH is great for Jonathan Quick, and then everyone tried to do it and shouldn't. Um, there's so many bad angle goals that just anger me. It's like when they had fingers up for a while with a glove, and I was like, this is foul. Like, you're just batting things down. Like, uh, you don't go play baseball and stand with your fingers up. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Like if you can bring them up. Them off, you do. Like, don't He's even pretty... get me started. Can you catch a things? Big, a big offender of that. Does I he catch like... things? Yeah. What? Uh, I mean, I mean, he's having he's had a great two years with the Islanders, but there are times where I'm like, uh, I I've, I feel like this is a I feel like I'm hard on goalies because I feel like once a game. But now since you said this, I feel like there's once a game where I'm like, he should have fucking had that. Like, come on. There's so many piss poor goals in hockey today. That upset me. Yeah. When do you? Like, when, I, I get really frustrated. I'm like, why the fuck wasn't I born now? So, like, do you think the goaltending was much better in the '90s and the early 2000s? I do. I, I I think I think there was much better goaltenders. I think there was um, system played a bit into it. I I think now <laughs> they just cats upset. Uh, th- think of the goalies in that era, though. You well, have yeah, Hasek, you, you have Roy, Patrick Roy. Like, come on. Yeah. Um, I you try have not Broder. to think about Patrick Roy if I can help it. He's my favorite goalie of all time. Oh. I know. Oh. I'm sorry, but I I grew up. Francois Lair was my goalie coach growing up. Um, 
I mean, it doesn't have, mean you, you have, have to three, like Patrick Waugh. You, you obviously doesn't. have the three greatest goalies. You can make the argument during that era. You have Brodeur, Waugh, and uh, is it Roy or Waugh? I never. I say Roy. You say I would say I said Roy too. I would always say Roy too. And uh, Hasek. And I think Hasek was the best of the three. Just watch lying. your mouth. <laughs> besides, besides uh, I'm I getting can't believe Akka, you're saying those three and not bringing up. I think <laughs> you guys are completely ignoring. The fact that Marty Brodeur is not better than Eddie Belfour. Do you? Do you I, I'll I, die I heard, on that hill. I will okay. die on that. Hill. I would say if Eddie laid off um, the his drugs, habits, the alcohol, yeah. Oh, I have stories. I don't know if I should share them on the podcast or wait until we're done recording. Probably not. <laughs> but I have an Eddie Belfour story that'll rock both of you at the end of this. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, it's wild. It's a wild card. Oh, when yeah. Have, when he well, showed up at the Hall of Fame different. in a leather jacket oh, and my jeans, God. that was brilliant. Well, he, that is so anti-hockey culture, and I lived for it. I him loved and, it. Him and, it was him and, uh, when him and Brett Hull were on the same team. That must have been just like, because I feel like those two were like such... Debauchery. Bo- yeah, booze hounds. Um, not that I'm promoting, you know, getting trashed, but <laughs> Eddie was right up there. There, there, there. That era had like all-time greats. How many Hall of Fame goalies are in the NHL right now? I would say uh, one of them just had heart surgery. So you'd say Lundqvist. Okay, he's on the NHL right now. Lundqvist. Yeah, but he's a part of the current era. Okay, I would say. so Hank, Hank, maybe uh, Price, 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 maybe. I'd put two. Maybe I put he hasn't guns. won a Flurry's gonna be Flurry's gonna be a Hall of Famer. Flurry's a uh, Hall of okay. Famer. If whether this we, was the, whether if we this was the baseball or... Hall of Fame where there are standards, he wouldn't be. I don't know. Flurry? I feel like he's Flurry managed... couldn't even. He lost his job to fucking the kid in Ottawa. Like uh, he <laughs> lost his job to Matt Murray, Tristan Jari, <laughs> to Tristan Jari, who lost his job to Casey DeSmith. Like, come on, don't don't even. Wait, but Flurry is he's having a good year this year. And he's had he's had, And he lost his job to Laner last year. I don't know. I, I think it's suspect if he's a I think I think Marc Andre Flurry has cuz the game's evolved so much from when Flurry started. He is the fastest guy yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah, absolutely. It's Reflected wild. Like he's a freak. Did. He's a freak. If he could ever get a little more in control and slide to his post as opposed to past it. He did. Uh, he has been and then better. Traded him back to Dave Pryor, and that that I think set him back again. Because he did that, and then he got into this habit of uh, stretching out instead of driving there. And when he drove to the post, he was brilliant. And then he just started stretching to the post, and that's kind of my what bothers me about Freddie um, a little bit. Anderson, who you brought up earlier. He stretches across because he's 6'5 and can, but if he drove there, he would get his whole body. Um, Kind of bugs me. You know who else does that? Who? Darcy Kemper. He stretches across? Not just stretches across. I've got a big issue with... My biggest issue with Marc-Andre Fleury is his oversliding. Yeah, same. I think he doesn't... He has no semblance of edges. When he does, when he actually hits his edges, when he stops within the blue paint when he actually hits his angles. Beautiful. Brilliant. He's unstoppable because, like you said, I think I don't think there's a player in the NHL with faster reflexes than Marc-Andre Fleury. But when he is allowed to, like, let his freak flag fly, he just flies 
all over the place. He ends up yeah. like in fucking Timbuktu. A f- he's a fish. He's a fish and that, flopping around. That's what Darcy Kemper does too. But Mark Andre yeah. Fleury is six foot two. Darcy who's, Kemper is six foot six. Who's and and plays deeper in his net because he can and just sit there and try and be that. Is it is Elkin Mike Smith right now? Well, it's similar, right? It's to. That's that's Elkin's protege yeah. is Mike Smith. Yeah, so. I used to. I after I stopped with Francois, I, I would go to John and I, I. I like John. Like I still talk to John sometimes. Um, but yeah, and I train with Smitty and them. Train with Smith. a lot of good goalies. Smith is actually having. Uh, I mean, he's only played in five games, but he's got a nine forty save percentage and a. He does that, man. He does that. He's he's, he's, he's on the like most a, inconsistent goaltender. I've oh, yeah. ever seen him. He might yeah. be he the most jacked of, goalie too. He's terrifying. He's, he's terrifying. I've never seen a guy who's more physically intimidating among like maybe Robin Lehner, but he's just naturally built that way. I think, yeah. I think Mike Smith is like a skinny guy that got jacked. Yeah. And he's got those eyes. He's got that thousand yard stare. Yeah. Um, all right, so do we want to move? I know we've we've kept you for well over an hour. Um, I'm having do you want to, fun. Uh, that that's. I think we should move into our move into our Q and A though. Uh, yes, because we did get some really fun questions. I think we went through a couple of them. Uh, we obviously had a few from people that were were a little along the lines of of inclusivity and what you do within hockey. Uh, but some of them were a little silly. Um, like Mike Gold asked us, "Why is Brock such a silly young man?" Uh, would you like to air? Would you like to air some some dirty laundry against Mike Gold there? Because well, you can. Michael. Michael is an interesting character. He's uh, an up and coming sports reporter out of Calgary. Uh, he's he's doing good things. He's a young guy. I really like him, uh, and is uh, openly a part of my community, which is kind of cool to see. Um, you know, uh, as a 20 year old kid trying to work his way up get into hockey yeah yeah um but i i harassed him that's the reason why i harassed the flames is mike <laughs> um honestly i i think i'm silly and i think sometimes people don't realize i'm silly because i'm also extremely serious online like when i'm talking about social issues and whatnot but i started trolling i got I was so afraid to make hockey takes and, and I still rarely do. Like I've just started a little bit, but I I've started by chirping fan bases constantly because um, I haven't gone to enjoy hockey in such a long time because I have to keep this certain image. Otherwise leagues and teams won't want to work with me. If I, if it's not, you know, that they'll look because I'm the gay guy, there's any reason to justify not doing the work with me. Right. So I have to keep this squeaky clean or it's just I only came up for a long time with, you know, condemning stuff or standing up to stuff. And I'm like, fuck this. If they don't want to work with me, fuck them. I'm going to work on the periphery. I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to have a blast doing it. So fuck all those fuckers. And you know what? I'm going to troll fan bases and I'm going to sit here and I'm going to do that. I'm going to love every second of it. I should have some fun in my life. Yeah. So so I do. I troll fan bases now. I have a blast doing it. Like I'm about after we're done, I'm going to chirp all the Leafs fans for losing to Calgary tonight, three nothing, and having to play Michael Hutchison in that. Wait. Um, so are you a Leafs? Are you a Leafs fan? I 
I was for a while um, because of Brendan and whatnot. Um, most people in my life are Leafs fans. So I, I don't mind them doing well. I grew up, Kyle Dubas was a stick boy on my team in the OHL. Okay. So, so known I've known time. him since we were kids. Yeah. Um, so I want to see Kyle do well. I think Brendan uh, Shanahan, I've sat down and talked with him a number of times. I think he has really great intentions and, and wants to do the right thing in, in the culture. So um, I want them to do well. I really don't give a shit who wins the Stanley Cup, to be totally honest with you. I, I enjoy when teams lose more and I can, <laughs> you know, torture a suffering fan base. Oh, you're <laughs> that's... Yeah, you like to hit them when they're when they're low. Oh, yeah, you no got them down. Then, like when you lose a game, watching your team lose a game when a game they should have won or like in overtime, it's just like it's a oh, nice yeah. low feeling. So you like to just get in a jab while you can. Oh yeah, and and I'm starting to more like even criticize decisions by teams and coaches and stuff, which I avoided for the longest time because um fear that it would jeopardize any work but now i'm like whatever you don't want to work with me i feel like people that are trying to people that are still getting getting their footing with teams end up being more cautious about it and then i feel like teams don't notice it as much as as we think they do because i and and other members some of them do some of them I absolutely have, do. I have some groups um, and different governing bodies that monitor my social media daily. Really? How oh, fun. Uh, yeah. And, and like big like national governing bodies of countries. And that's all I will say on that. They're, just, they're looking at everything you post and tweet? That's all I will say on that. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. so so i've been very and like concerned about like I'll, I'll get screenshots and emails and phone calls and threats that's is fair this, is that is that does that happen a lot yeah yeah uh, i'll uh, again after the recording i'll tell you after my eddie story yeah. um <laughs> all right next quick cat can i pick the next question um, yeah, let's do a couple of these rapid fire, couple of the couple of the shorter ones, okay. and then then get into a few of the. Uh, I mean, this this is from. Uh, I, I'll just ask the first part of this question. Ali Campbell at Ali Campbell WPG. Did you have uh, any like game day rituals? Were you superstitious? Oh, okay, yeah, very. I. Um... I had the same pillow I slept with every day from the age of like seven and I brought it to junior hockey and I called it my lucky pillow and it had these people called the pillow people on it. <laughs> and, and that was one of them. Um, I said one night, I, one day after school, I watched the movie clueless. I've never told this to anyone in my life. You're wow, breaking me an, down. We're getting an yeah. exclusive. <laughs> yeah. Um, the movie clueless, the, the theme song from the movie clueless got stuck in my head in Adam. Okay, so I was like 11, and I got a shutout, and I sang it every game for the rest of my career. Because you got a shutout the fir- that, that first game? So the rest of my career, throughout every game, I sang was that it, song. What was the theme song from Clueless? Oh, I'll find it for you. I can't sing. I'm not a good singer. You don't want me to sing. You'll lose followers. You'll lose. Do you, you like lose. the movie? Uh, what's your opinion on the movie Clueless? 
I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. I want to be Cher Horowitz when I grow up. <laughs> Kat, did you have you ever seen the movie Clueless? Of course, I have. Did you know? You know, we're circling back to our Twitter questions that it features a famous '90s ska band. <laughs> you mean SKA Saint Petersburg? No ska, like the music, like your your you like Russian like hockey. The Russian KHL team. No, not you like the KHL. No, no, I'm not a big fan. I saw you ask me about that, and I'm not a big fan of the KHL. I find it kind of like I'm not a fan of most things Russian, just because they're kind of homophobic. So I try not to support them. But thank no, you for the question. I'm talking about the kind of music. <laughs> are you are you fucking trolling me? No. What do you mean? No. Anyway, St. Pe- Petersburg, like beautiful city. Yeah. I don't. I do not. I'm standing up to bullying right now. <laughs> uh, the uh, mighty mighty. The boss straight boss. white guy's oppressed. I'm being oppressed. <laughs> this is this is hashtag uh, men's rights hashtag. <laughs> oh man. I, uh, I had a guy tell me that running uh, a hockey league. Um, told me he was 50 years old. It was a minor hockey league. And he, or 60 years old, and a straight white guy working for a major corporate, and like, like an executive making ridiculous amounts of money. And he told me that in today's society, he, as a straight white guy, is oppressed. And I just went. Sure. And then, then told me he's the head of their diversity and inclusion projects. He was the head of that? <laughs> oh, man. They got to do a better background check on who they are. Uh... Yeah. Who they have to head that. Um, Kat, do you have any more? Yeah, they're hold on. I, I had them like all queued up and then you here we go. So uh if you could only watch one of the following for the rest of your life, which one would you choose? Hockey, basketball, drag race, or real housewives? Oh shit. Oh, this is hard. Well, hockey's out. Um, so basketball. Is it uh, Raptor? If his Raptors, I don't care enough about all of basketball. If his rap- Raptors, they'd be in it. Um, I only like Beverly Hills in the Housewife series. Housewife. Ooh. Um, because I find the other ones are trying to be famous too hard, whereas most of these people are already famous. That's fair. That's very so, fair. So it feels a little more authentic than, than like, Forced. Well, and, and, Real Housewives of New York, they're not necessarily trying to be famous. They're just being like up. They're just being New York white women, which is they're chaotic. They're a lot. They're, um, they're the I, most... I'm a big fan of what's her name, skinny girl, um, Bethany. I like Bethany. She's not. I like Bethany. I, I like really Bethany. like Bethany. Who's the, um, the blonde one who has all the interns? Oh, uh, has all the what? Sorry, the interns. She has like. Is she, she a newer season or old no, season? No, she's older. She's one of the other um, from New York. Uh, I can't remember her name. But I, I can picture her right now. There's yeah, her, one of Countess Luann. Um, this kid like, I went to college with became one of her interns. He studied public awesome. relations. He has a bachelor's degree, a four-year hey. degree from a university. He is interning. And by interning, I mean, like, he makes her tea and, like, dusts off her furniture they're basically glorf like they stand around housekeepers yeah they're kind of like housekeepers but also like is he they hold is he her being back paid? shops 
I, I have no idea. I have no idea. Why doesn't she call them huh. assistants? I know I don't what know. you mean too. I, I can picture know. her face. I just don't watch enough of New York. I, I really like um, Beverly Hills, but I'm going to go with Drag Race. Uh, like, okay. how do you beat drag queens? They bring the drama of Housewives, they bring the competitiveness of sports. Okay. Um, they're in drag. And, and like, and then you have all the wittiness, all, like most of the pop culture lines we use in mainstream society now have come off that show. And that came from ball culture and different things. It's all queer. So I'm going with Drag Race. Yeah, sashay away. I love that. Yeah, yeah 100%. It, it's, it combines the best of all the different reality shows plus sports. That's. That's good. I like that. That's uh, I don't watch Real Housewives, um, but you know the only show that comes close to that, like what you're saying with Drag Race. I don't know if you watch a ton of the Bravo shows, but Southern Charm. Is it good? I need my good and, shit right good, now. Good. Good's a very broad word that doesn't work for. Good is so none of them are good people. No, They're of course not. People. They're on Bravo. Um, <laughs> but Southern Charm takes place in South Carolina, and it's old money from Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, I, so, I can just imagine. They're horrible people. Yeah. <laughs> They're just the kids, worst. One of them has two kids uh, with this guy who tried to run for senator, spent some time in prison for embezzling money, um, has a drug problem. He's 56, maybe. She's she's right around our age. So I think she maybe she's turned 30 now, but she's definitely mid to late 20s. Um, so for a while there, when the show started, I think she was 22 and he was like 51. Brilliant. And they'd get into all these fights. She's like six feet tall, bright red hair, does like these fabulous outfits. And she's got like the Mike Smith eyes. And as soon as she makes the Mike Smith eyes, <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's going down. I'm ready. I'm excited. I'm going to watch that. Um, have you ever watched Flipping Out? Mm-mm. The only Jeff one I've watched Lewis. is Southern Charm. The only Jeff one I've Lewis watched is Southern is problematic Charm. as fuck, but brilliant at the same they're all time. Problem. They're all problem. Like, top to bottom, they're all problematic. I would put Flipping Out over Housewives and all okay. that over Hockey's at the bottom. Hockey's <laughs> the last there. Yeah. Yeah, hockey is way at the bottom. Flipping now, the camera. Now, right. another question. Because um, we got some of them. You put answers in the responses, which for yeah. us, because I don't think we're going to have time to go through all of them. Um, if you guys are looking for some of the responses, take a look at our Twitter feed, because uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and retweet some of your responses. Um, I don't know if you just heard that, by the way. My child just went, oh... My, I God. heard that, <laughs> and I don't know what she's saying. Oh my God, too! But maybe Love it's it. maybe it's you liking drag queen or drag race. But I've, let's see. I'm gonna, in give, drag one a or, few times. I'm, let's give one more. <laughs> oh, have they? We have we have a question. Uh, what I think the question is: What would your uh, drag name be? Um. So I came up with two. So Alaska. Well, I I've been given. To, I can't remember the second one, Miss Kasha Davis, who I have a show on Wild Presents Plus with, put me in drag for an episode and she gave me a name, I can't remember it. But then Alaska Thunderfuck um, put me in drag and <laughs> I couldn't, I, she put me in heels and I couldn't walk and it was on carpet. 
So uh, I called myself, or we called me Trips, Tripsy Thunderstorm. Okay. Um, and then I had two that I came up with myself. Do either of you know Mean Girls? Of course. Yes. Okay. So I thought Regina's Gorge, and I'd be a fug, fugly slut. Oh, my God. And, and I That's thought that one. would be great. And then the other one, Ash Trey. Okay. All right. Those are, I, I like those. I love that. Yeah. Um, which is harder, walking in heels or skating? Oh, walking in heels. Hands down, not even close. Breaking in skates is close, but walking in That's heels fair. is um, horrific. I don't wish that on anybody. I've reached a point where I can run from one end of the lower bowl at the Coyotes Arena to the other in four-inch heels. And that was that took more training than actual running. That took more training than skating. But I can I'm, do it now, and I don't slip and fall. So I'm perplexed why women still wear them since they were a creation by men to uh, for women, so they'd be more physically appealing to men. Um, I think women should get rid of the heels. I or wear force them men to wear at them. Games. The only place I wear, I have one pair of heels. And I, I, I wear them to games because until you've had to interview Ben Bishop face to face and had your face in his crotch the whole time, you 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 appreciate heels when Valid. it comes to the taller players. But then it's funny because then you realize just how short some of the players are. Because I am five six, and so even in the best pair of heels, I'm not going to be six feet tall. Um, and when I put on heels, I, I, lo- I have to look down to interview a few of the players and I'm like, you're not anywhere close to what you say you are, but oh, no, they all lie. They liars. Um, it's like saying Fred Van Vliet six feet tall when he's like five ten. uh, for the record, Basketball. for our, for the record, for our, uh, listeners, by the way, um, Chris, Chris Gear asked us. Thoughts on Jacob Markstrom trying to revolutionize the goalie position by trying to cover the entire defensive zone. Uh, before we started recording, Brock said he doesn't watch Jacob Markstrom because he doesn't watch the Flames. Um, in, in defense of Jacob Markstrom, he has to play for the Flames. So, uh, oh, I, mean, I mean, I I would try and make up for my you know the, my defense if I was him too. Uh, Wouldn't you, you say know. he upgraded though from going in the Canucks to the Flames? No, because he brought um, half his I, I would argue them. that Canucks team last year was probably better than what he's dealing with now. Yeah, that's true. Good point. He brought half of them with him. He brought Chris Tanev with him. Yeah. He brought the others with but, him. But he didn't bring the good ones. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't bring uh, He didn't bring Hughes. Besser, Pedersen, or Hughes. So um, I, I tweeted out two days ago. I said if Vancouver and uh, Calgary combined their teams, they'd have a decent hockey club. And then somebody said they did. And I said, yeah, but they did. But Trill Living didn't get the right ones. Yeah. I mean, kind of like the Coyotes and the Blackhawks used to do that. Oh, yeah. They used to just trade back and forth. And and it was stupid because Arizona's done a really good job of giving up their first round picks to Chicago, who have now become decent. Well, at least one of them, Strom's become a good hockey player. Yeah. 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 no, I mean, Blackhawks aren't doing as bad. They're, they're in a playoff. I mean, they've played more games than of course. anyone they, in their division. But They take 
Arizona's players when Arizona drafts top five every year. Yeah, Dylan Strom has been a nice piece for them. I'm chirping you. And I broke it down. Let me let me defend the Coyotes. <clears throat> Dylan Strom and Nick Schmaltz. That was the trade. Uh, yeah. Nick Schmaltz has the same points per games played as Dylan Strom. They're scoring oh. at the same rate. So it was a it was a change of scenery for both players. Got it. Actually, Dylan Strom's doing okay. Yeah. Dylan Strom's doing okay. Nick Schmaltz is doing okay. Sure. It was a good. It was good for both sides. Uh, yeah. The Coyotes are the ones who ended up with Antiranta, which is by way of New York, uh, and they don't have Anthony D'Angelo anymore. And, which is and how's so. how's Ranta ended up for you? <laughs> when he's healthy, he's he's a Vesna candidate. So well, I, he's I'll lost his job. I'll never speak ill. That's a bold ever, statement. Ever. And, and oh, there goes my point on how bad goaltending is today in the NHL. Antiranta is a Vesna candidate. You can't be mean to Auntie Ronte. He's one of the nicest guys in the world. I, I don't know him. I, I'm not saying he's a bad goalie. I'm just saying Darcy Kemper stole his job. So Yeah, yeah. I'm, Kemper's I'm pretty so good. good. Yeah, he was great in LA. And, <laughs> okay. Uh, where else was he? He was, he was terrible in Minnesota. Terrible in Minnesota. He's oh, made a nice career for himself in yeah. Arizona. Oh, hey, the, the guy's been in the NHL for 10 plus years. He's doing something right. Yeah. And but I think that that more or less wraps up. I think yeah. the, the questions that we can get through briefly, because I think uh, I think a lot of them we would need like a second podcast to uh, to get through all of them here. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that that's sort of where we are from our questions. We got we got a lot of really good questions. I feel like when we ask questions, usually we get. We get just nonsense. Yeah. And people took you seriously, which is wonderful. Yeah, thank you. You, you brought some Ugh. validity to our uh, <laughs> podcast. I'm, I'm disappointed that they took me serious. Yeah. I mean, they they probably won't take your Yankees take serious, but everything else, I think, will, they will. Fuck the Yankees. I, I will say this. You did. I know the Cubs won a World Series that year, but you did rob them. Yeah, that was... Uh, it's almost I, as bad as the, the when the Cubs trade for Quintana. Yeah, who they who they do that trade with? Uh, the White Sox and they with gave the White up. Sox for Quintana. They got yeah. for Eloy Jimenez. Yeah, uh, all of this to me is just. I know. I do. I'm I'm the world's most casual baseball watcher. I'm well. The that's because. The D-backs are the D-backs. They're the Coyotes of baseball. So, <laughs> well, I'm not from Arizona. I lay no claim to any of the other teams in Arizona. Where, where when are you I'm, from? I'm from back east. My mom's from Scarborough. So Ooh. technically, I I guess I'm a Blue fan. Maybe. There you go. Maybe. There you go. Oh, wow. I don't care enough about baseball to take on a certain team. Uh, but... No, I, I don't really care about baseball. Although, I don't think we've ever told our listeners, Mikey. Uh, fun fact, he and I became friends because uh, my college alma mater is the college basketball team that he very tragically roots for. Um, yeah, I, I, they're terrible. Well, they're Who is pretty, it? Uh, St. John's. St. John's. Oh, yeah. They're, they're really bad. No, they're, no. Pretty, they're, they're decent. I mean, they're decent they've, this year. They've reached What's that other tournament? Passable status now. What's, what's the, 
NIT. Yeah, they're it's, good in that. Marsh Madness and IT. I mean, they might make the regular tournament, but and it, anyway, they did beat Villanova this year, so they they do that. They beat they beat a good team once or twice a year, and then they, and then they lose, played that last man in game against yeah, ASU two years they, ago. Yeah, and they blew where it. somebody described ASU, they were like ASU looks like they're playing with their parking brakes on. Yeah, and they that was, still beat St. John's by like twenty five points. Yeah, so. who's the last good basketball player to come out of St. John's? God's gift. Oh shit! Uh, Mo Harkless. <laughs> it might be Mo Harkless. That's your claim to fame. It might be. Uh, yeah, Dream. yeah. I think I think it would probably be because Bill Green never really made too much of himself, right? Weren't they weren't they big in the nineties though? Yes, they're very. They they had that great rivalry with um like Georgetown and um, that was like when the Big East was like Villanova. Yeah, Yeah. was that when like even the eighties? Yeah, and that's when they had like Mark Jackson, who ended up uh, going to the Knicks, and he he played on those uh, Knicks teams for a handful of years in the nineties, and then he went to the Pacers, and yeah. when I was at St. John's, they were trash. Then, then they beat your Knicks, yeah. and Reggie would talk shit to Spike. <laughs> we beat, beat we, Jordan, or you could, then you couldn't even beat Indiana. <laughs> they beat, okay, first of all, they have beaten Indiana. Uh, John Starks, come on. <laughs> you put nobody around Patrick Ewing, and you wonder why the guy never got a, a championship ring. Embarrassing. It's embarrassing. You had the biggest market in the world and you can't put together a good team. They went to two NBA finals with Patrick Ewing. Yeah. Oh my god. You're okay. You're just roasting my teams. This is I <laughs> you're very good at it. You're very good at it. That's what I'm doing now on the internet. So <laughs> get ready, pal. We follow each other. <laughs> uh and on that cat is giving us we have to wrap up because it's bedtime for um is so Brock, thank you so much uh, for joining us. We really greatly appreciate it. It was really informative, and we love everything you're doing. And just thank you for taking the time out. I hope we didn't waste too much of your time. Um, and I think the Blue Jays will actually be pretty good this year. So I'll, I'll leave it on a nice note for you. <laughs> well, thanks so much. Thank you both for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, take it easy. Absolutely. Uh-huh.